You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll talk about how God works in the midst of our pain and uses it to grow us into who we're meant to be. Let's get started. I want you to meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And then we are going to drop down to verse 6 and then move over into the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says this, God comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So when we are weighed down with our troubles, it is for your benefit. Drop down to verse 6, and it goes on and says, so that we can be an encouragement to you. And let's go backwards to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. And I want you to listen very carefully and note some very critical things in these verses. Starting in verse number 1, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year. That's important of Zedekiah, king of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there saying, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed, Jeremiah said. The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shulam, that's important. Your uncle is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Now I read several verses and all of them are important because they provide the context out of which God has spoken some very significant things for week three of this series. We are in this series. The series is called When God Goes Off Script. That's what the opening video helps us to understand. And the reason that this series is called When God Goes Off Script is because the title is meant to point out the paradox. What we want is we want God to give us a script. We want God to give us all of the details about how every facet of our life is, is going to flow and, and function and ultimately kind of just uh, be revealed. We want all of the details up front, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't give us a script. The irony, though, is that even though God doesn't give us a script, even though he doesn't give us all of the details, we then come up with our own script. We come up with, with our own script, if you will. We come up with our own details, our own plan, our, our own way, and even our own when, time frame, 
that lays out what we want to happen in our own lives. And then here is where it gets even more interesting. We make up this plan, this script, and then have the audacity to want God to follow what we created. But it doesn't happen that way. God doesn't follow our script, which means that then it feels like, looks like God has gone off script. God doesn't follow our plan. Often what we wanted doesn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. Sometimes it doesn't even happen when we want it to happen. The undeniable truth of life is that the unexpected often happens more than we would like in our own lives. And one of the big unexpected things that happen often is when we have to deal with pain and problems and difficulties and struggle. This is why in week three of this series, when God goes off script, I want to take a moment and, and, and tell you this directly from the Lord. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Let me say that again because it is really important that you hear this. Don't waste your pain. Why? Pain and problems are unexpected. Matter of fact, I don't know that I've ever met a person who expects pain and problems. I don't know that I've ever met a person who wakes up and says, you know, I think today we have a little, have, have, some, have some breakfast, have a little pain and have a little drama. I think today is the day and I'm prepared. I don't, I've never met a person like that. But pain and problems are an undeniable reality of our life. But you got to handle them the right way. This is why I told you don't waste your pain, because that's what a lot of people do. When pain comes because we don't expect it, when problems come because we don't expect it, our tendency is to either stick our head in the sand and just wait for it to blow over, or we run. We, we, have, we have this flight mechanism because we don't like trauma, drama or issues, and so we, we, just, we just run. We, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to face it. We, we flee from it instead of leaning into it. But I want to teach you from the Word of God that often the will of God for your life, even when it feels like he's gone off script, is not to run from the pain and the problems, but instead to lean into it because God doesn't want you to waste it. What do you mean don't waste my pain? Well, many of the issues, the pain and the problems that happen in our lives are not just about us. They happen for the benefit of other people. This is why the passage in Corinthians is important because God literally says you've received comfort from that pain, not just so that you can go home and say, oh, I feel better. You've received comfort through that pain so that you could turn around and comfort someone else, meaning that the pain or the problem or the issue wasn't just about you. That it was beyond you about somebody else that God wanted to minister to through you. As a matter of fact, here's the evidence of how you know that you have recovered and that you've gotten to a good place emotionally from recent or previous pains. It's when the focus is no longer about you. 
This is how, you know, you know what we say, we say stuff like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Well, no, no, you're not still good if, if the focus is still about you, if it's still what you want and why did it happen to me and I can't believe I had to go through that. If that's still where you are emotionally and psychologically, it, you're not quite as good as you think you are. You know that you're good when the focus is no longer about you, but you begin to, to focus on other people, meaning you understand that a part of why I went through what I went through was so that I can minister to you, so that I could take the comfort that God gave me and share it with you. Before I get too deep in this, let me give you three undeniable realities about pain and problems. I didn't expect to get many amens right here, but let me give it to you. Three undeniable realities about pain and problems. Number one, there is no such thing as a pain-free life. It doesn't matter how anointed you are, doesn't matter how gifted you are, doesn't matter how main, I mean, uh, painstakingly meticulous you are about crossing every T and dotting every I. As long as you live on this planet, this planet right here, as long as you live on this planet, you're going to have challenges, emotional challenges, emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain. You're going to have pain and problems. In heaven, there are no issues. We're not in heaven yet. So number one, there's no such thing as a pain-free life. Number two, there's purpose behind your pain. That's what I've been sharing with you throughout this whole series. It is not that God causes all of the pain, but God uses the pain. God will use the pain and the problems for a greater purpose. God will do some things through our life, in our life, through this pain. God never wastes a hurt. And likewise, we shouldn't waste one either. But here's the big one, number three. Your greatest contribution, and by contribution, I mean ministry. Your greatest contribution in ministry in this world is not going to come through your strengths. It will come through your pain. Why? Because people don't get helped through your strengths. They really get helped and ministered to through your pain. What do I mean? Well, if you really want to impress somebody, tell them about your strengths and how perfect you are. That's not going to help anybody. If you want to impress them, then yes, tell them, you know, I did this and, I, and people know me. That's, that's not going to make a big difference. But if you really want to impact someone, if you really want to make a difference in their life, don't talk to them about your strengths. Talk to them about your pain, about your weakness about the challenges that you've gone through because that's taking the comfort that God gave you and administering it to somebody else. I mean, think about it for a second. Who can better help somebody going through a divorce than somebody that's already gone through the pain of it and recovered from it? Who better to help someone through the struggle with their finances uh, than somebody that's had that same struggle and, and God has healed them and, and, and blessed them and developed them from it? Who, who better to help somebody with a diagnosis that was unexpected than somebody else who also received a diagnosis that was unexpected, but they're still here and, and life is still to be lived? Are you following me? The very thing that you least like to talk about in your life. The, the very thing that you are the most embarrassed about, the very thing that you want to hide in your closet and lock away, the very thing that you don't, that you don't want to think about, that you don't, want to, you don't want to talk about, listen to me, is the very thing that God wants to use in your life to help you encourage other people. 
I may not get many amens right in through here, but I want you to hear me. And I'm teaching this morning to someone, and that's exactly where you are. You have been going through your pain privately. You've been, you've been dressing it up because you don't want anybody to know that, that you've had this struggle, that you've gone through this hurdle, and you are missing your ministry. I'm teaching to people who this is the season of life that you are in, and you are just trying to grin and bear it, and you are trying to lock it away, and you don't want anybody to know, and I'm here to tell you, you are handling it the wrong way. Do not waste your pain. You are going through what you are going through because it is not just about you. It is about the other people that God wants to reach through you. It's not just the same. It's not just the issue in in your life. This is the same exact issue. I want you to know because somebody's thinking, oh, I'm by myself. Nobody understands. No, this is the same issue that Jeremiah is going through in Jeremiah chapter 32. This is why I took the time to read those verses because Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord and he finds himself in prison, but him being imprisoned is not just about him. He finds himself going through pain and problems, but it is not just about him. It is about the nation of Israel that God is really trying to minister to. In verse 1 that we read in Jeremiah 32 says, all of this happened in the 10th year of the reign of Zedekiah. I want you to put a pen in that. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that. Why? Because 10 all through the Bible is the number of testing. Why shouldn't I waste my pain? Why shouldn't I just stick my head in the sand? Why shouldn't I just wait for this season to blow over and move on? Well, because number one, God is still working in your problems and in your frustrations. I know you got problems. I know that there are painful things going on. I know that you're frustrated, but I don't want you to waste your pain. God doesn't want you to waste your pain because he's still working. He's still working. What do you mean he's still working? Well, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, is put in prison. And watch this. He's put in prison for doing the will of God. Uh, He didn't do anything wrong. He's in prison for doing the right thing. He speaks the word of the Lord to to Zedekiah and, and says, hey, hey, the enemy, the Babylonians are getting ready to come in and invade and tear apart the nation of Israel because Israel has departed from the Lord. They've forgotten about the Lord. You've forgotten about God. You've drifted. The nation's drifted. And so God is going to deal with you. And so Jeremiah prophesies this to Zedekiah. Zedekiah doesn't like what he hears. And because he doesn't like what Jeremiah is preaching and prophesying, he puts him in prison. Jeremiah is in prison not because he did anything wrong. He's in prison because he did the right thing. I I want you to get this because when we go through pain and when we go through problems, we automatically think something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Whenever there's something that, that even happens personally or even within an organization, we immediately think something's up, something's wrong, something's wrong. No, 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 no. God can be working. What do you mean God can be working? Look, look at John 15 and verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Watch this. It says, now my father, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, here's the, here's the question. Now, here's the point I want you to see. Jesus says that, that God does two things. He cuts off the branches that are not bearing fruit. But then the branches that are bearing fruit, the branches that are doing the right thing, he prunes them. 
Now watch this. To a branch, cutting and pruning feels the exact same. And so when, when God is pruning so that we will bear more fruit, often it feels like, wait a minute, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. What did I do wrong? God, why are you punishing me? God says, I'm not punishing you. I see fruit on your vine. But I got to prune and cut away a little bit more so that you can have more fruit. That's what you've been praying for. Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. Do a new thing. Take the limits off. God says, that's why I'm, I'm pruning. So Jeremiah says he's in prison, not because he did the wrong thing, but because he did the right thing. He's in prison. He's confined. His movements are restricted, but God is still moving. How do you know that God is still moving, Pastor? Well, because the Bible says that he has a visitor in prison, and his name is Hanamel. What's so special about Hanamel? Well, Hanamel's name literally means grace and favor. See, part of the reason I know that God is still moving is that even when he is pruning and even when you're feeling the pain, what you are missing is the grace and the favor that he's been releasing over your life. And I love it. Jeremiah is in prison. Watch this. And Hanamel, grace and favor, pay him a visit. I love that imagery. The picture is that there is no place that you and I could hide where the grace and the favor of God can't find us. Meaning there is absolutely no place where we could be. Whether we are in pain or whether we are in problems, God still has a way of making sure that his grace and his favor find us. But watch this. When... The grace and favor, when Hanamel shows up in prison, Jeremiah's chains don't fall off. This is not like the book of Acts. This is not like, you know, when Peter was in prison. This is not like Paul and Silas where the, the doors flew open and the chains miraculously fell off. And this is important because when we think of grace and favor, we just think sometimes that everything's going to turn around. No, wait a minute. Sometimes, sometimes God doesn't give us grace and favor for things to turn around quickly, but sometimes God gives us the grace and favor to handle where we are correctly. Did, did, I, did I say that too fast? Let me say it again. Sometimes it's not about grace and favor turning things around quickly. It's about God giving us what we need to handle where we are correctly. You do remember when Paul begs God, take this thorn out of my side. Take it, take it, take it. In 2 Corinthians 12, and God says, no, 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 because I don't want you to waste your pain. There's purpose in your pain. He says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my grace. My grace will be sufficient for you, meaning I'm not going to remove the pain quickly, but I will give you what you need to handle where you are correctly. And part of the reason why I know that thanksgiving ought to be flowing out of your mouth is because if you could be honest, even in the midst of your pain, if it were not for God's hand and God's grace and God's favor, you would have messed up a long time ago. I mean, the testimony that you have is that it's been painful, but God has still been good. It's been painful, but I'm still okay. I'm still here. I, I still... I'm still, 
I'm still here because if it were not for the grace and favor of God, that thing, that thing would have taken me out a long time ago. I would have gone off the deep end. I mean, when's the last time you had a flashback and, and, and God showed you your before and he showed you your after? You know, like the situation was painful, but then you thought about now, now before Christ, this is how I would have responded. But then after him, you're like, oh my goodness, the pain is the same. But now I have what I need to handle it the right way. And it says, it says, Hanamel, whose name means grace and favor, says Hanamel is the son of, of Shulam. Shulam. Now, now that's also important because Shulam's name means retribution or divine repayment. In other words, watch this. God says, I'm, I'm repaying you, Jeremiah, with grace and favor. I'm giving you retribution for some of the things that you've gone through. See, this gives me tremendous comfort, and it should do the same for you, because often we go through things and we wonder, God, are you there? God, do you see? And God wants you to know, I see every single thing. As a matter of fact, part of what you're in now is divine retribution for the stuff that you've gone through in your past. Yet, Jeremiah is still there. He's still in prison, but God is working. He's still in pain. But God is working. Because remember, I told you that the pain is not just about you. The, the prison that Jeremiah was in, was in was in the public square. It was in the courtyard, the Bible says. So watch this. Everybody that was walking by, doing life like they normally did life, they had to look at Jeremiah in the prison. And when he was in the prison, he had an opportunity to literally minister the word of the Lord to the people that, that you can't stay the same. You got to change because, because you drifted from God and God is bringing judgment on the city. So watch this. While he was in prison in a painful, confined situation, it wasn't just about him. It was in a greater way about the people, the nation of Israel that God wanted to reach because God wanted them to understand that you can't stay the same and here's the thing about about pain God will use pain because often we won't change until we feel the pain it's like, okay okay all right uh, parents parents you know you told your child baby don't touch that stove don't touch the baby don't touch that stove do not touch that stove uh, it's hot you will hurt yourself but you know what what do they do they still But they will never have to touch it again. Why? Because of the pain that was associated with the heat from the stove. I'm teaching to some of you, and God has already spoken. There needs to be change. Uh, maybe change emotionally, maybe change psychologically, maybe changing in the way you think, maybe change in the way that you process and handle things. But here's the thing. You fear the unknown. And so you've been reticent to embrace this next step in your life because you are afraid of, of what is out there. So God says, well, here's what I'll do. I'll allow the pain to get to a place where it is greater than your fear. Your fear has paralyzed you. But I'll use your pain to make sure that your pain becomes greater than your fear because when you feel the heat, that's when you're going to start moving. 
Okay, let me, let me explain it this way. You, you do remember, you remember when God sends Elijah down by the brook and he says, get, get down to the brook. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so God sends him to the brook. God sends him to the brook. God says, get to the brook. Elijah goes to the brook. Uh, God, God said, go to this city. Elijah goes to that city. He says, take this job. He, he takes the job. He does everything that God told him to do. He didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right. Get to the brook. He went to the brook. He said, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. And he just sits by that brook. He's got water at the brook. He's got bread that the ravens are bringing. And he's just chilling. He is in the will of God. But then the brook dries up. God, you sent me to this job. And they laid me off. The brook dries up. God, you told me to marry, to marry this woman. But then the brook dries up. I'm doing what you told me to do, and now I got pain and problems. I'm, I'm, I'm in your will. I pray. I fast. I go to 6 a.m. prayer. But then the brook dries up. I'm on the worship team. I'm one of the, the ministers. I, I, I lead a small group. But then the brook dries up. But remember, 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 uh, 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 Elijah had gotten comfortable with with the sips of the water from the brook with the scraps of bread from the ravens and god says see i, I gotta give you some pain i gotta allow that pain to get you to move because i never wanted you to stay at the brook i, I never wanted you to build the rest of your life on the scraps of bread and the sips of water i've got more for you so i will use the pain to get you to move it who am i teaching to God says, I'm going to use the pain to get your attention. So please understand that even in the midst of your pain, he's confined. But God is still working. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I'll give you another reason not to waste your pain. Because God works in the midst of contradictions. Hmm. Another reason why you shouldn't waste your pain. God works in the midst of contradictions. Look, look at this. Verse, verse 8. Let's go back to Jeremiah 32. It says, Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, By my field and Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. And he says, Now, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. All right, but then drop down to verse 24. He's praying and talking to God now. Jeremiah says, well, wait a minute, God. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city? He says, the, the army, they're on the way over the wall. He says, because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city is going to be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said previously is happening, as you now see. And though the city is going to be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy this field with silver and have the transaction witnessed? It's not about you. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? So watch this. Hanamel, whose name means grace and favor, shows up and says, buy my field. It doesn't make sense. Jeremiah says, wait a minute. The enemies are attacking as we speak. They are getting ready to wipe out this entire city. Yet, God, wait a minute. I know this is, I know this is, I, I hear you, God, but, but the contradictions. I hear you, but, but right now, 
in the midst of everything that I, everything that is problematic and painful that is happening. And so he says, wait a minute, this appears to be a contradiction. And this is often why people end up wasting their pain because it's hard sometimes for us to embrace the idea that God is doing something in the midst of our pain. For, for some of you, this is why you're looking at me the way you're looking at me. The, the idea that, that while you are in your problem, while you are in your pain, that God is doing something great in it, it's a foreign concept. It's strange. It's contradictory because you're looking at your problems and you're like, eh, looking at God, but like, eh, but I got this over here. And this is often why so many people end up wasting their pain. But you got to remember, God specializes in working in the midst of contradictions. That's when God often does his best work, in the midst of contradictions. Please hear me. People are like, oh, man, what are you, you going to do? Uh, God, what, you know, I have people texting me, you going to say anything about what's going on in Alabama? And you going to say anything about what's happening in the nation? I am saying something. God works in the midst of contradictions. He often does his best work in, in the midst of contradictions. I'll give you a couple of examples. The last shall be first. Contradiction. Mm. Here it is. If you sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. It's a contradiction. Here's another one from the Beatitudes. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. That's a contradiction. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Ah, lean not on your own understanding. That's a contradiction. Listen to me. You will miss God if you, are, if you allow what you are going through to lead you to believe that God is not working. You, you got to learn to see God in your pain because if not you will waste it this is why this is why in romans 12 paul says here it is uh, romans 12 and 2 do not conform to, to to the patterns of this world he says in other words um don't don't let what's going on around you affect what's happening in you one translation even says don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold what Paul says, Paul says, you, you ought not be focusing so much on what you see going on around you, but instead what you ought to be keying in on is, is what Holy Spirit is downloading in you. He says, he says, you ought to be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. So you could be in problems, but you shouldn't see problems. You, you could be in chaos, but you ought to be able to sense Christ in the midst of your chaos. Are you following me? You may be going through hell. But, but through Holy Spirit renewing your mind, you ought to be able to find the hope in the midst of your hell. And, and he says, he says, watch this, then you will be able to test. Remember I told you to hold on to the 10th year of Zedekiah's reign, 10 all through the number. The Bible is the number of testing. There's something about the test that helps you to tap into what God has already put in you. It says, then you will be able to test and approve 
what God's will is. One translation says, then you'll know for certain what God's will is. Another translation says, then, then, then you, will, you will be able to prove for yourself what God's will is. There's something about uh, you handling the test the right way, that when you go through pain and when you go through problems, if you handle it the right way, you come out on the other side with a greater understanding of who Christ is in you and what his will is for your life. And people look at you and say, well, my goodness, how did you come through that? Well, you know, I found out some things about God and about me. God through that I realize what God's will is for my life and so Jeremiah has a decision to make and I've come here to tell you you've got a decision to make Jeremiah has to decide if he's going to allow the pain of his situation to paralyze him or will he have faith to believe that God you're still doing something in it you have a decision to make Will you wallow in the pain? Will you allow the pain to deter you from God's destiny for you? Or will you recognize that, wait a minute, God's doing something in it. My decisions affect my direction, and my direction affects my destiny. And I know, I know many of you are very quiet because you're having the same struggle that Jeremiah is having. You're looking at your pain, and, and you hear me. You're looking at your pain, and, and you hear me. You're looking at your pain, and you hear me. But here's the thing. You cannot determine the kingdom of God and the will of God based on what you see in the natural. You cannot determine whether or not God's word is legitimate based on what is happening around you. God's word is legitimate regardless of what is happening around you. You don't judge God by your circumstances. You judge your circumstances by God. So Jesus in John 4 says, don't y'all have a saying? He says, don't y'all say it's still four months until the harvest? He says, open your eyes and look. The fields are ripe for harvest. That's a word for you because, because you're looking at stuff, but your eyes aren't open. You're looking at your situation saying, no, it can't be right now. This can't be the right season. No, I'm not ready yet. No, I'm not good enough yet. God sent me to tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your spiritual eyes eyes. I'm trying to hurry up. Do you remember when Elijah has this servant and he gets up and the servant says, oh, we in trouble. He runs back in. Elisha, the man of God says, hey, the army surrounded us. And I love it. Elisha's so cool. He's sipping his coffee. You know, he stopped by Starbucks on the way home. You know, he's got his macchiato, you know. He's not panicking. He just prays a simple prayer. Lord, open his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw the angel and the chariots surrounding him. God's got to open your eyes because this is not a waiting season. This is not, I'm not a good enough season. This is harvest time. Here it is. If your eyes are open, this is what you will see. And what we perceive to be our worst moments, that's when God does his best work. Please hear me. Please hear me. In what we perceive to be our worst moments, that's when God does his best work. But your eyes have got to be open and you got to be able to see beyond what's right in front of you. Hanamel says, by my field, where is the field? The Bible says it's in a place called Anathoth. Now, don't run past that too quickly because you know what Anathoth means? Anathoth means the place of prayer. Ah, some of you are wondering, like, how do I open my eyes? Pray. 
When, when, when you lean into prayer instead of running away because of your pain, prayer would open your eyes and help you to see what's been there the entire time. Ooh, this is so good. I'm teaching better than you're responding. I, I, when my wife and I moved to Birmingham, we moved from South Florida. And, and what's interesting about South Florida in the summertime, and, you know, I, I grew up in Georgia and Atlanta. I didn't know this until I lived in, in South Florida. In South Florida, it rains in the summertime almost every day, five, ten minutes, you know, afternoon showers. I mean, the sky will open up and it will just be a downpour. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, it doesn't even look like it rained. And, and I found out when I was living there that the reason uh, it happens all the time is because with the heat and the humidity of South Florida, um, the, the, the heat will rise into a dark cloud. Okay, you, you do know what the Bible tells us, that the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. You do know what fervent means. It means to make hot. Hmm. It rains all the time in South Florida because when the heat rises from the ground, it goes up into a dark cloud. The dark cloud has the rain, hmm. but the heat has got to rise to release what's in it. I lost all of y'all a while ago talking about how it's the dark cloud that has the rain. It's because some of us got messed up Bible theology. We think that it's got to be a clear sky in order for God to move. No, sometimes the greatest way that God moves is through a dark cloud. When God speaks to Job at the end of the book of Job and gives Job double for his trouble, read it when you get home, it says that God speaks out of the storm, which means that if Job would have run because of the pain of the storm, he would have missed the word that God had out of the storm. Who am I preaching to? Because the dark cloud has the rain. Where are the people that pray, God, send your latter rain? Where are the folk who, who, who declare, my latter shall be greater than my path? But, but wait a minute. How is the latter rain going to be released? The heat from your prayers rise up into the dark cloud. Your pain ought to be pushing you to pray. Your pain ought to be pushing you to lean into God and say, God, I'm just waiting because I know you're going to get glory out of this. And I'm going to worship and just bask in your presence until... I love it. Hannah Mel says, by my field, where is it? In Anathoth, the place of prayer. Then he says, watch this. He says, and you got the right to redeem it. That's so good. What is he talking about? According to Leviticus 25, land and property and inheritance and possessions, it belonged to the people in the family, the nearest relative. Now, if the nearest relative didn't want it, if they didn't claim it, if they didn't redeem it, then somebody else outside of the family could get it. Here's what Hannah Mel is saying to Jeremiah. You might be in prison now, but you're still in the family. That's what I've come to declare uh, to you. you. You may be going through pain now, but you, you're still in the family. Like, last I checked, you, you're still in the family. Uh, you're still in the family. So guess what? But you got to choose whether or not you want to redeem it. Meaning there's some things, even in the midst of your pain, that you still got to claim. And you can't become a victim to what you're going through. You got to learn how to stand up and declare. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The last time I read this book, the book says 
that I am blessed in highly faith. So I'm going to claim it right now in the name of Jesus. The book says that I'm going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. The book says that my children will be blessed. And I'm going to claim it right now. Who am I teaching to? You ought to claim your joy. You ought to claim your peace. You ought to claim everything that belongs to you. Regardless of what you see, you ought to say, I claim it. I claim it. I claim it. I claim it. I want that. I want it. I want that. I'm in the family. It belongs to me. It's got my name on it. I'm a child of the king. I am the seed of Abraham. I claim it. I'm, I'm out of time. 30 seconds or so left. Look at somebody and say, don't waste your pain. Here's the last thing I'm going to give you. Let me tell you why you ought not waste your pain. Because God has worked out your future. He's, he's worked out your future. Watch this. Go back to Jeremiah 32 and verse 9. He says this. He says, so I bought the field. He said, I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed. So he's doing all of this in the, in the, in the face of people. He says, and weighed out silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy. So watch this. One version was sealed. Another one was unsealed. He said, and I gave the deed to Baruch, son of Nerea, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all of the Jews. There it is in the courtyard of the guard. In the presence, in their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, horses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So watch this. He's in prison. He's in pain, but he's transacting business. And he's doing it in front of folk that are watching him, who at the same time hear the enemy encroaching. Whoo! Because it wasn't just about him. It was about the other folk watching. Here's the question. Do you have the faith to keep doing the work even when it feels like what you're doing is not going to come to pass. The enemy is encroaching. And Jeremiah is doing the work that points to not today, but the day after tomorrow. And the sign that he's sending to everybody else is, yes, you're going through difficulty, but God has got a plan, not just for today, but for the day after tomorrow. That, that, once, that once the pain is over, he says that blessing and favor is going to come back to this land. That's why I'm buying this field right now. Houses and land and vineyards will be bought and planted in this land regardless of what we see happening right now. So, so many people, when the problem comes, we just say, oh, 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 hey. let me just give up. There's nothing to it. No, 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 no. You, you, you're too busy looking at what's right in front of you. God is looking at what's behind what's in front of you. God is, God is not just focused on the day. He's focused on the day after tomorrow. Do, do you have the faith to do the work 
the work of faith? Do you have the faith to, to literally speak those things that are not as though they are? Do, do, you, do you have the faith to work on what God has shown you even when you don't see it? But why should I, Pastor? Because God's already worked out your future. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew that you would be here even before you knew that you were alive. The other reason why this is so important is because, as I close, this is an Old Testament picture of what Jesus did for us. Literally, when we were in our own prison of sin and death and destruction, God did work on the cross. And the work that he did on the cross didn't make sense to everybody. Didn't make sense to the disciples. Didn't make sense to, to, to mother and brother. But he did that work not because he was only focused on what was in front of him. He was focused on what was coming the day after tomorrow. You and I. And the Bible says that when, when he did the work on the cross, he did something. He set his seal upon us. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Remember, Jeremiah had a sealed copy and an unsealed copy. Bible says that Christ put his seal of ownership on us, gave us the deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that which is to come. This is part of the reason why the enemy has been trying to grab at your family and grab at your mind and grab at your peace. But every time he tries to grab it, he's been slipping and sliding and couldn't get hold of you because he no longer has access to that which does not belong to him. You, you are now sealed because you belong to Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. There's a sealed copy, but then wait a minute, there's an unsealed copy. What is the unsealed copy? It's you and I. When we open our lives to the people around us, where we can say, see my wounds, see my failures, see my mistakes, see how I dropped the ball, but, but God still did it through me. I, I told you it wasn't just about you. Yeah, we thank God that we are saved, sanctified, sealed. We thank God for that. But wait a minute. Don't forget about you being the unsealed copy. This is why you don't scrape your stuff under the rug. This is why you ought not pretend that it never happened. No, on the contrary, you ought to say in small groups and in fellowships, let me tell you about what really happened. Because if you really understood it, then, then you know that you can get through what you're going through. You, you ought to be able to say, let me open up this, this, this unsealed copy and tell you all about what's written in it. This is why Jeremiah told Baruch, you take these copies and you place them in clay, clay, clay jars. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in jars of what? Clay. For what reason? To show that the all-surpassing power is from God. Not from us. You, you are supposed to say, I am here today 
not because of my ingenuity, not because of my gifting and my anointing. I'm here because God brought me. That, that, that ought to be your testimony. Baby, I know you can make it through the divorce because I made it through mine. And let me tell you, I didn't make it through because I knew what to do. I made it through because God brought me. You ought to be able to say, now you can make it through this cancer. All right, I speak that over your life. You know why? Because I made it through. Not because of what the doctor said, bless them, but because of what the chief physician did. You, you ought to show that's an all-surpassing power. It's not you, but it's from God. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.